This is an AMI podcast. Oh, guys, uh, apparently we're supposed to make an audio trailer for the podcast. I guess we'd probably have to introduce ourselves. Like, I'd have to say, I'm Brian. Right, and I'd tell everyone that I'm Jeremy. And then I guess I, I would go last and say that, that I'm Taylor. And I suppose after that, we could tell them the basics about the podcast, that we're three best friends, and our goal is to change the way that you think about health. Mm, good idea. And I guess we, we kind of would have to say at some point, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get started, I wanted to acknowledge that this podcast was produced and hosted from the unceded ancestral and traditional lands of the Squamish, the Musqueam, and the Tsleil-Waututh people. I am honored to live, to work, and to play on these lands. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Accessing Art. I'm your host, Amy Amanti. Social media is a powerful tool, and those of us in the art space who use it tend to use it as a platform to either share works or exchange ideas. While combing through social media one afternoon, I discovered the artist that you're about to meet. She's a true creative and she uses that energy in part to explain and in part to soothe as she continues to navigate through life as an artist, a poet, and a puppeteer living with M.E. My name is Karina Down and I'm an artist and writer and all-round creative. Thank you, Karina, for joining us. I'm so excited to introduce you to our listeners today because you do a really interesting bit of creative work that I've always been drawn to, and I don't really know why. And that, So tell me, I understand that, that you've been in this genre for a long time. How did you get involved in puppetry? I suppose I started making dolls and puppets when I was a kid. Like I made my first doll at the age of 10 and my first puppet at 14. And I just made them as objects, really, like just a different kind of artist doll, I suppose. I loved that they were able to move and be so alive, but I didn't really explore the whole aspect of puppetry until about 2014, I think. I kind of got back into it and... One of the main things that got me back into it was working with other people with disabilities in a a resource um, center. I was asked to facilitate a puppet making project with my fellow members. And um, over about eight months, we created, I think it was nine puppets and a big box, which all quotes on it about disability. So we were stepping out of the box as became my motto, really, stepping out of the disability box. Um, That project was amazing, not because I did it, but the responses of my fellow members and the responses of the public, because it showed through the puppetry that we were able to speak for ourselves, to be ourselves, and we were no longer in this box And that project got a lot of attention in Ireland and actually worldwide as well. And I was invited to give a talk about it at the first Broken Puppets Symposium on puppetry, disability and health. And while there, that was in 2017, I was just thrown into this amazing world of puppetry and disability. 
And I suppose I never left after that. It was just astonishing. I, it's a whole new field of research, and I'm so thrilled to be part of this whole research. I'm part of this exploring. I think, too, puppetry is the kind of art form that a lot of people don't consider that artists with disabilities are exploring. So I love the idea that you were facilitating and teaching other artists that identify with disability how to involve the creativity of puppetry in their lives. So you are an artist that identifies with disability, and that's really been quite central to some of the work that you do. Share with us a little bit about um, how disability has joined you, so to speak, in your artwork, how you make accommodations for that in your lifestyle. Well, I became ill with, with myalgic encephalitis, um, ME. In some countries, it's called, unfortunately, it's called chronic fatigue syndrome, which really doesn't do justice to the illness that it is. I suppose, like, I was a full-time doll artist before I became ill, and my creative mind would not leave me alone. I, I just as much as I wanted to not be creative anymore, because initially I felt I got ill because I worked so hard. But my creative mind just wanted, dictated in a way, me to explore my new existence through the art or through creativity. And initially I couldn't really sculpt anymore. I couldn't read or write properly. I lost a lot of my abilities that I had. But I found ways continuously over these 22 years to find new ways to explore my work. Initially, it was by little scribbles, by little drawings, by making collages. And this was like 10 minutes a day, perhaps, that was all I was capable of. But I simply had to do this. And as my illness, like for a while, I was improving a little. So I was able to to sculpt again and in the end to make puppets again. But in the last few years, my illness is really taking me back to absolute basics. And I had to again reevaluate what I can still do and how I could do it. And as making my puppets like big marionette puppets were no longer able to make them and also I'm no longer able to hold the puppet and animate them. I created a puppet which I can animate sitting on my lap in the wheelchair or in the recliner. But even that became more difficult. And then last year, I had the fortune to work with um, Dr. Emma Fisher. She is uh, identifies as well as a disabled puppeteer. And she did a PhD on disability and puppetry. And together we did a, a mentoring period and I explored my illness again through the medium of puppetry. And on one of the very first days that we met in person, she mentioned shadow puppetry. And the word shadow itself triggered a memory of a story I had written about my um, great-grandmother who I was told was kind of attached to me, her spirit. And I had written this story calling um, Living in the Shadows of an Invisible Octopus. So in a way, the, 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 the shadow puppetry, the octopus symbolism became my metaphor for exploring my illness because 
the illness, it's like it's it's like the puppetry cross or the or an octopus pulling the strings and letting me stand upright or not or dictating my life in a way. So last year we made this uh, fabric octopus. We wrote a script for a puppet film, but again I had to realize I wasn't actually able to do this filming. It was way beyond my physical and mental capabilities at the time. What I felt I could do was do further work with the octopus and with shadow puppetry. So share with me a little bit more what shadow puppetry actually is. I think, uh, you know, I understand the idea of puppetry on marionette strings, uh, but what exactly is shadow puppetry? When, when um, one of the last days that of the mentoring, I, Emma brought in this overhead projector, which, which a lot of people might remember was this big bulky machine where you can put something on a light box and shine it up against the wall. And it was used a lot in, in universities and colleges and things like that. So she brought me one of those and she put it on a bed tray on my bed and connected a big screen on the end of my bed, on kind of like a hospital bed. She, she attached it to it. And with, the, with having this light box, when you put images on it, it shows up on the screen. So we explored like putting a little figure of me in a wheelchair. We explored putting materials from my garden on it we we used I used my hand with a big fabric octopus and and shoved this figure in the wheelchair off the screen I mean the the immensity was it was so incredibly powerful but what I did then a few months ago I got my own projector and with my PA we set it up in such a way that I can access it at any time of the day that I want and what is the beauty of that is I don't need anybody anymore to help me with my creativity. I can do it whenever I'm ready. And I, I'm able to cut little figures, like I cut little images of me, little photographs of me, I call them the, the paper me. I cut little wheelchairs, I cut the birds, I cut the tree in my garden and I put them on the overhead projector and I make my stories and the stories can be made in seconds. And by animating, just moving the birds a little or move my paper little hand a little or the wheelchair a little or this octopus symbolism a little, I can change the story. Um, what I've done, as I'm not really able to do a puppet show as such, I take pictures of these images and share them on social media. And they are, to me, they're immensely powerful. And the reactions to the people who responded to these images, it's amazing. It's like, I, I think because it's so stark, it, there, there's nothing beautiful about it in a way there's nothing to beautify the image you just have to see what's there yeah it's a really like black and white high contrast kind of imagery which is even in its own right sends a really powerful message combined with your poetry and that's exactly how i found you you just mentioned that you 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 created this you posted it on social media and i was looking for some artists of interest that identified with disability and oh up pops 
Karina and this invisible octopus. And so I, I was very drawn to it right away. So introduce to us what we're going to experience with Invisible Octopus. And then we'll have a listen and we'll come back and unpack that afterwards. Yeah, okay. I As part of the film project that we had last year, I had written a draft poem because I didn't want narration in the film. I didn't want music in the film because people with this illness who are very, very ill, if they hear a sudden sound, they could actually go into a paralysis for, for hours or days. And I didn't want to have that responsibility. So what I did instead of all of that, I had written a poem. And after realizing I couldn't really do the film, I figured I can develop the poem. And I did that with the help of uh, a poet friend, the Lola Ronane. And we edited the poem to 12 stanzas, kind of giving a very, very quick, short introduction to the way my life is, I suppose. And to my own surprise, I created this just over two-minute video with the narration of me reading the poem and adding 12 images to these 12 stanzas. And I was very reluctant to share that because I didn't think it was yet right because I had wanted to create this beautiful animation, seamless animation, but I realized that might take me a year or two or more because it's actually quite a difficult thing for me to do right now. So this came about by accident. And many people have said, because it is so raw and not polished, it actually shows more of my reality than a beautifully polished piece of work. The reality of life with the unpronounceable illness, myalgic encephalomyelitis, is hidden and fragile. M.E. as invisible octopus, acting as puppeteer, keeping me upright or making me stumble at will. Inflicting pain, challenging my brain. It's crushing weight, taking my breath away. Rosy cheeks, looking well, they say. Summer is coming. Happy thoughts will cure you. I live in a disbelieving world. My reality, trivialized, dismissed. My full-time carers witness octopuses' destruction. For others, I simply disappear into the shadows. I'm just one in this worldwide community of hermits, where freedom of movement is no longer a right. Transcending gravity, I fly among the birds, their beauty and harmony, uplifting and strengthening. After a short flight, octopus attacks, pinning me down, immobilized. Each moment is a death. Breathe. Each moment is a living. Finding peace in my solitude, I observe the dance of the trees. There is movement in stillness. My creative mind, the visible thread throughout this 22-year-long story, transforming pain into poetry. It's so interesting to me because it really captures the rawness of what ME, uh, what, what kind of effect that has on your life. So 
share with us a little bit about why now? Why this piece? Why now? In a way, like when this all came about, I remember one night saying out loud to myself that all this work, all this 22-year work of exploring ME all came to this very point. And in a way, my work was done. And I was like, whoa, did I just say that? But it, it is, and it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop creating. It is like this is, is the accumulation of 22 years. This, is, this is, explains everything that I wanted to say about this illness. So, you know, you've touched on that, and, and it goes right into my next question, which is what is the role of art, for example, um, in, in the healing process? It's for me, I, all of this work that I've ever created was for me to, to personally understand my new existence. I learned to find ways to deal with this illness. I found ways to dream, to explore, to be grateful, to be angry, to be upset all through my work, to deal with all these emotions and all these challenges in turn, which I hadn't anticipated because everything was for, for me personally, but people came across my work and I ended up with exhibitions and I was like, what are these people seeing in this? But what it did was explained my reality to them, but a lot of people all over the world now identify with my work. They might not have ME, but they might have another illness, another disability. And another bonus was that it made me stay part of the world. Like my, my world is now really my living room and my bedroom and sometimes my garden. But yet I have contact like this. I have contact with people all over the world. So th this being involved with my creative mind has very multiple bonuses, I suppose. Yeah, you know, I often look at my own uh, sight loss as a gift because it's, you know, it came to me later in life, but I have, you know, you have to learn how to embrace it because otherwise you kind of get trapped in that cycle of, of you know, the why me or the I can'ts, right? And so um, you have this lovely line in this piece um, close to the end of it that I absolutely love. And it's simplistic, but says a lot. And And you simply say, transforming pain into poetry. And I was listening some, to some other interviews and things that you had done. And one of the things you had talked about in terms of the reference to the octopus itself is in, uh, is in com comparison to the navigation of the medical system. And I wonder if you could just go a little bit into that and how it relates to the octopus. Because of this illness... We are so rarely seen outside the door, right? When we're really unwell, nobody sees us. People only see us when we're well. Like last week, I was at the uh, first day of my exhibition, which will be my last exhibition, but I wanted to visit it. And then I share pictures and people say, oh my God, you look so well and you look so happy. And of course I'm happy. I'm at my own work. You know, I'm, I'm out, I'm, I'm there. But the crash afterwards is horrendous. My body just shuts down and people don't see that. And that's the same with the medical profession because they don't really want to acknowledge our immense suffering. And I hate the word suffering, but we are. And many of us 
live in darkened rooms and they have, have to have blindfolds on and headphones on and the curtains drawn and they can't deal with anybody touching them. It's horrendous. But people, the, the medical profession still dismisses our reality. And it's hugely painful. But I think I can deal with this illness. I find it most difficult to deal with health professionals who dismiss our reality and do not listen to what we say. Nobody wants to live like this. I, I, walk, I live past a walkway and I see people walk every day. And often I think, gosh, it's so simple, isn't it? To just walk out the door and, and go for a walk. I can't. And to dismiss us as being a psychological illness is the most horrendous thing anybody can say to us. I'm part of, of a, an ME, a small ME advocacy group of seven women here in Ireland. And I don't have a whole load of knowledge of all the, the, the medical treatments and the possibilities and the, all the politics. I share my bit through my creativity and hope to God that people will learn and accept that this is a very real existence that nobody wants to deal with. Nobody wants to live like this. Well, that's, that's the question that I had for you is, what is it that you want people to take away from, from your creative, your artwork? What is, it, what is the message that you want to share with the wider world? That we are, like one of part of my poem is, I live in a disbelieving world and my reality is trivialized and dismissed. And it is my full-time carers that witness the octopus's destruction. And it's only the people that live in my small world that see what this octopus, what this ME can do. And I so wish for people to take our word for it. Nobody wants to live like this. This is not a lifestyle choice. This is not a beautiful world. I'm trying to make it beautiful in a way that, that my environment is, is, is really pleasing. It's very healing. I love nature. I have a lot of love for the world, for, you know, the world that I can see outside my house for the birds for life for gratitude thank you for sharing that because the world is not all uh roses and champagne and um artists no. say things that are uh both extremely uh extremely positive and exciting and they share lots of things and they also want to share things that are realistic and thought-provoking and um genuine to who they are and like i said that's not always about sunshine and roses and champagne so i appreciate the reality that you're bringing to your artwork we're gonna um switch gears just a little bit we do a little segment with our guests called the mixed bag three rapid fire questions and i'm gonna shoot them your way and you're just gonna shoot me back answers that uh pop into your head so are you ready to go karina it's a challenge because sometimes the more tired you get with ME, it's sometimes difficult to answer questions, but throw them at me and I'll see what I can do. I'm going to throw them at you. We'll see where they stick. If you could go back to any time in history, what time would that be and why? I suppose I would love to have met my great-grandmother that is so well, had such an impact on my story. So that would be, I think she was born in the 1800s. 
So I can't exactly put a year on it right now. But yes, the time when she was alive, I would have liked to. She died in 1921. So the period before that, I would like to go back to and actually sit around the table with her. Question number two. The one physical item that you have that you absolutely can't live without. One physical item. My wheelchair, I suppose. Ouch. (laughs) Yes. I like it. I like it. It's uh, oftentimes people answer something, you know, the teddy bear they had from childhood, that kind of thing. But you're choosing something that is uh, real to your here and now. Final question I have for you out of the mixed bag. Yeah, is... If you could compare yourself with any animal, what would it be and why? Bird. <laughs> Very simple answer. I associate my whole journey through illness with the birds, the life cycle of a bird. The birds are my life. I could change any conversation at any point if there's somebody here and I see a bird outside my window. Say, oh, God, did you see that one? Did you see? Did you see the cold? Did you see birds? Definitely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Very significant. The phoenix rising out of the fire, the flames. Yeah, the whole rebirth of it all. I absolutely get that. Karina, your work for me is, uh, it pulls at my heartstrings, no pun intended, considering uh, the puppetry aspect and the strings. But I would love for you (laughs) to be able to share with our audience where they find your work. How can we access what you do? I have a website and it's www.carinadown.com, which is C-O-R-I-N-A-D-U-Y-N.com. And there is also a link in there to my blog where I'll share kind of longer reflections on my work or, you know, deeper, deeper insights into my work. My website is more static i suppose but i'd love it if people explore that and there's also a link to my um, facebook page where i now share because i realized that blog writing is a little bit more time consuming and takes more energy than i sometimes have i i reluctantly but happily actually as well now share little snippets on my facebook page and it's facebook.com corina down Thank you, Karina, so much for joining us. I've loved every moment of spending with you, and I have loved every moment of the research I've done into your art form, and I will continue to follow you and um, connect with you as, as time goes on. I think what you do is beautiful and fantastic, so thanks for sharing your time with us today. Thank you for finding me, and thank you for your wonderful questions and inviting me it's really an honor you know like I said I I I rarely leave my home but yes I'm making connections like this on on Thursday I'm giving a lecture in Chile again and it's just lovely to be involved with the world outside through my puppetry before we say goodbye today I want to leave you with this quote from Charles Chestnut we are all puppets in the hands of fate and seldom see the strings. Thanks for listening to Accessing Arts with Amy. This podcast is produced by me, Amy Amanti, with technical production by Sam Robinson and technical assistance by Matthew Maynard. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. If you'd like to reach out to us with any of your feedback, we'd sure love to hear it. And you can reach us at feedback at ami.ca or by calling us on the telephone at 1-866-509-4545. Thanks again to today's guest, 
Karina Dern. Keep exploring, and we'll see you next time. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.